Mark, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Looking forward to talking to both of you. You guys are doing some cool stuff. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Happy to be here. You got it. We're happy to have you. And you know, we always like to get the podcast started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the moment. So why don't we start with Sarah on that one? Yeah. So um, who I am, I guess I would say I have a background in graphic design and software design. Um, Went through the whole corporate ladder thing into startups in San Francisco, burned out completely and decided that I needed to be spending my precious time and energy doing something that I felt like mattered. And then it was a long struggle to figure out what that meant. And throughout that struggle, I was introduced to Mark in San Francisco, and we started a design company together called The Determined and pivoted our efforts in The Determined to focus on climate corporations. And during that process, um, started being called the climate designer people. And uh, I'll let Mark fill in the rest. All right. Mark, passing the mic. Yeah. Um, before getting into climate designers, uh, yeah, my work before the studio, before the Determine, we uh, started back in 2016. My work has always been under the umbrella of social impact, social innovation as a designer. So doing this kind of, you know, social good kind of work has just always been in my blood. And then, yeah, fast forward to climate designers. Sarah and I co-founded climate designers back in October 2019 as a project from the Determined. So think of it as a project without a client. And man, it's been two and a half years and we are now a global community of designers from all walks of life dedicated to using our creative skills to take climate action. Okay. Really, really cool. Sarah, can you touch on kind of the pivot? What did determine the determined initially start off as and how did it kind of transition to specifically climate work? Yeah. Um, so Mark and I, with our graphic and web design background, we were doing websites for, you know, companies in San Francisco. Um, and we we built ourselves at first as social impact design, just design for good in any way. And um, we would get a lot of, you know, startups that were like making a um, health device or something that like they were calling it a good cause because it was, you know, supposedly something related to health. But it was still kind of that like, you know, our market is wealthy people. We're, we're selling a gadget. It's not really a necessity. <laughs> and so, you know, Mark and I had several conversations where we're like, how do we make sure that we're only talking to people who are like really doing the good work that needs to be done and not just, you know, trying to make a buck here and there. And um, over, over time and just because of the communities that we were involved with, we decided that we were really passionate about the climate crisis and wanted to focus efforts in there. And so we, we niched down, narrowed down our audience, and it turns out climate is actually a very broad niche. Um, and so by niching down, we were actually stepping into a very wide, broad world um, that the rest is history, I guess, but like <laughs> that's kind of how that happened. Totally. What made either of you can kind of answer this where did your desire to create a larger positive impact come from initially? Why not use your design skills to just make cool designs? Why, why did the impact even matter to you to begin with? For me, 
I've only wanted to do this kind of work using my design talents to create positive change in the world. And I can trace that back to my love for punk rock music. I've been listening to punk rock music since middle school. And just if any of you know the, you know, the ethos behind it, it's, and not just music, but also just kind of the, the idea is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mindset where, you question authority, you question existing systems, you fight for causes that you believe in. And, you know, I really appreciated the DIY aspect of it. And then when I started to become a designer and learning the tools that allowed me to create anything that I wanted, right? I, I was literally doing it myself because I was able to have, um, I was able to use the tools that I was learning at the time to create websites, to create logos, to create posters for X cause, right? And so it's always just kind of been in my blood. And then when I went to school and got a second degree in graphic design, I just I just knew that I wanted to to channel my energy towards, you know, creating positive impact. And so I just I don't know, I just it never really occurred to me to do anything but this. I like that. I like that response. And um, where did the name come from? Because I, I love the name. It's almost like what drew me to want to talk to you guys. I found like the determined. I'm like, I love that. That's like my thing. So like, how did you guys come up with that? It took a while for us to land on on a name. I think all of the accounts, all the like Google tools and all the other accounts that we had to get to start a business. I think we used the the placeholder unknown company or something. I don't know. We used some placeholder name. So it took a while. We had a running list of a of about ten or so, and we started to whittle it down. And I remember listening to an audio book on a flight, and that word came up a few times within that one chapter and I was at a layover somewhere, maybe in Dallas. And I was like, Oh, let me look up the definition, looked in the definition. I think I took a screenshot of the Webster, you know, uh, webpage and sent it to Sarah. And I don't think Sarah liked it at first. I thought maybe, I think you thought it was maybe too, uh, pretentious or too like, I don't know, but I I think we both sat with it for a little bit. And um, I I think for me, it it evokes a get shit done, no matter what cost, you know, it's like, you know, and especially when it's coming, you know, bringing it into the climate space, you know, we have a big gnarly challenge ahead of us um, or, or here, you know, it's, it's happening right now. Climate change is, you know, the effects of, of climate change is happening right now as we speak. And so we have, so many determined, motivated people wanting to use their talents to tackle this, right? And so I think it just fits really well. And and there's also a little bit of that like punk rock feel as well in that if you go to the website, you can kind of see that in the look and feel and the voice and tone. And, and it's been really great to see, you know, it's been great to hear from people like you and, and previous clients who appreciate that. And it's, if anything, it's been like a filter where we might not be for that person who's looking for something a little bit more traditional or safe. And so we wanted to kind of put our, our flag in the ground, line in the sand, where we filter out the people that might not be a good fit for us. And we attract the misfits, the, the rebels. Yeah. Isn't misfits like the name of like a punk rock band? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think the word determined is kind of like the epitome of what it takes to be successful in business or in any kind of venture where you're trying to continually grow and and reach the top where you can 
have a, a large impact or be someone that's really well known. I don't think there's any way to really accomplish much without this determination behind you. And I just, I want, I, I, really, I like the word. So, um, where does the this newer venture, the climate designers, kind of come into play out of the determined? Is, is it a project that's spun out of it? Yes, it is. And um, we, you know, we kind of heard ourselves being referred to as those climate designer people when we shifted our focus to uh, work only with people doing climate related work. And I believe Mark put a post on his personal LinkedIn when we heard that and said, um, you know, I'm starting to hear this phrase, this climate designer being applied to me. Does anybody else use that phrase or does what does it evoke for people or something like that? And it seemed like there were a lot of people who chimed in on that and it really resonated with people. And so from there, we bought the domain climatedesigners.org. And what we're really, you know, figuring out is how do we bring designers together who want to use their skills and talent to help with the climate crisis? And it's a community, it's a support network, it's an education hub. Um, we're training designers, we're helping connect designers with jobs, we're helping connect climate founders with designers. Um, so it's one of those, and it's really grown since we started it at the end of 2019 until now. Um, you know, we've curated a group of designers from all industries, breaking down the silos between design industries and sharing our tips with each other over 3,000 designers, and we have local chapters, I think um, something like 15 local chapters in all different countries and cities all over the globe. Wow. That's some pretty fast growth, especially during a uh, turbulent time. But I suppose you can kind of, you know, do design work from anywhere. And it's so essential the way you are perceived by people, I think, is really, really important. Much more important than I realized when I first started my business. So when it comes to design strategy for a climate brand, perhaps like my own business or anyone else who might be listening, how does that strategy differ from a typical, you know, I'm just out here to make money and make your life better, no, no attention to the environment kind of thing? How, how does it how is it different? I almost want to say at some level it's not. Um, you know, why not put our efforts in designing something that makes a company successful and just apply those exact same strategies towards a company that's doing good in the world? I think that the instinct that a lot of designers have, if somebody comes to them and says, I want to design a climate brand, they immediately go into their mental filing cabinet and they think about the iceberg with the polar bear sitting on it and the color palette is blue and green and there's a leaf and a swoosh you know um what we would say is actually no like those aren't the things that make a climate company successful how would you approach this if it weren't a climate company and let's start there so I like to turn things around and be like, actually, no, there's no difference. At the same time, strategically, we would say this to a designer doing anything, but especially in climate work, you have to be aware of the power dynamics, things like justice and um, uh, the the systemic, holistic connections that we all have, the relationships and the power relationships that we all have with each other. And so we focus a lot on that in every phase of our design process, and we encourage 
other designers that are working under our umbrella and calling themselves climate designers to do the same, which is a big part of what we educate the designers in our network um, to do is to be more systems focused, to be more equity focused, to be more justice focused and um, to approach things with not just that bottom line of how is our design going to make this company more money, but how is our design going to make the world system that we all rely on more resilient, more long lasting, more beneficial to all of life. Yeah. And, and to add to that, we believe that if you're a company that exists today, whether you're starting out today, this is your first day in business, or if you're an established company as of, you know, spring 2022, if you're a company that is not doing something in terms of taking climate action, good luck being around in the next couple of years, especially if you're a product or service where you have some sort of customer facing uh, offering because, you know, millennials and, and, and Gen Z's are now, at least in the U.S., are now outnumbered. Uh, they've out now outnumbered baby boomers. They are now going to be, they are the leaders and future leaders of at least this country. And so if you want to attract new customers and more importantly, talent, you have to do something about your impact on the planet. And so I don't really see a climate company and a non-climate company being separate. I think every company needs to take that. I mean, even every job, every position needs to be a climate job, have a climate focus position, right? And so I think just really starting to, to craft that narrative, as, especially as in the design community, as designers start to learn this stuff, not just the basic science of climate change, but also how they should approach their work or maybe future companies that they might want to work for to really understand that their position in their company has tremendous um, responsibility and power if they really do want to help steer their company in the right direction. And if they don't, then again, good luck being around in five, 10 years. Right. Yeah. So you, you man, you, you, you pulled my exact response, kind of what I was going to say to her. It's like, do you really, I was going to ask you if you think at some point every business is going to become a climate business and then you use the word climate, but it's really, it's like, is every business eventually going to be, what is decarbonization, but not, it's like, okay, if we are net zero, we're not destroying the world. It's like, that it seems like that should just kind of be like the bare minimum. You know what I mean? So like maybe eventually every business or we, I'm assuming every business will or else we ain't going to have any business anymore. Um, I am wondering what are some of the, the key characteristics you've noticed about the entrepreneurs in your space, in your time working with them and giving them advice on how to get their message across and reach more people? I can, I can start with what we have seen in the past, which is not a good approach and not a good characteristic to have, is that we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs in the climate space, they want to lead with their technology. They want to lead with data, with statistics, with their product. And as, as impressive as that might sound to other people in the space who can understand that jargon and industry speak, it doesn't resonate with the end person, right? I, I really, I, I've been on this quest lately, just a quick side note to really stop saying the word user um, or consumer. But um, just if, if, if those founders don't really understand that they, they need to approach however it is that they talk about their company through story and through ways that will resonate with the people that they're, that they're affecting. Um, yeah, just we've seen so many, you go to any, not any, but you go to a majority of these climate 
company websites and they start out with statistics data. They, they, they put all the climate jargon in there. And unless you know this stuff, it doesn't, it doesn't register. And so how can we help them change their approach so that they don't lose those potential, you know, customers, audience, supporters, funders, maybe. So that's something that we are on a mission, especially through the studio, but especially with our climate designers community is to uh, speak up at work. If you see a client or your manager going down that path, like, hey, maybe let's not lead with that. Not, and I'm not saying that that's not important. Don't get me wrong. It's super important, but maybe you don't lead with that. Maybe you say that on the next page or maybe say that down below the, the header. So I don't know. I think there's definitely some some characteristics we've seen a lot of things to avoid when it comes Definitely. to being a founder. Sarah, yeah. I want to let you add to that, but before I want, I want to ask you, Mark, perhaps instead of calling the customer customer or user, maybe like the customer is the protagonist. I don't know. That's what came to my mind in my head right at that, right at that moment. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. Sometimes. Yeah, steal yeah. it, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, Sarah, um, do you have something to add to that question? Sure. Yeah. I think um, some of the characteristics, I was sort of racking my brain where to start. And um, two things that came up at once were uh, being collaborative rather than competitive. So I think that the new, the new modern era of business is going to be a collaborative effort. Think of our, you know, industries that we're going to need to transform and build as really big systems that we're all collaborating to build together. And we've seen this kind of phrasing in the last few years with COVID and with George Floyd and protests and all of these things. But like, we're starting to realize that if you just stay with the status quo and don't speak up for change or don't work on building change, you're supporting the status quo. When you choose to not do something, you are doing the opposite of what the change makers and transformers want the world to be like. And there isn't really abstaining. There isn't really just like, no, I'm just going to do my thing over here. You guys can go ahead and, and fix the climate crisis. And I'm just going to keep you know, doing my job. Um, we don't really have that luxury anymore because we are all, every single one of us, collaborating to build a world. And hopefully it's a world that works for all of life and not the world that we've been building, maybe sometimes without knowing it, over the last 200 years, which is a world that's hotter and not supportive to the life systems that we all need to survive. Now that we know that, we can claim ignorance from the past, but now that we know that, we need to get to work on building a world that actually maintains and sustains life um you know and that's going to happen either reactionarily which would be rather disaster disastrous or proactively um in which we can use our design strategy brains to make good choices for as many people as we can and it's we're getting down to the wire where it's like we that strategic slower approach is it needs to get going and we need to be proactive in doing that every single one of us. Um, and I think the other, besides being collaborative, I think the other thing is being authentic and it sounds kind of cheesy. We've heard the phrase authentic so much that it sounds like an inauthentic word now, ironically, welcome to postmodern capitalism or whatever. But um, 
you know, if you're, if you're doing marketing or you're doing design or you're doing product creation and you're not genuinely solving a problem that actual people have and doing work that actually needs to be done, everybody's bullshit radar is, radar is so, you know, sensitive now. Like, it's just not going to work. And I think that we have such a, you know, such a short time frame and such small wiggle room that we just don't have the resources and capacity to support companies that aren't doing something that matters anymore. So, you know, being out to make a quick buck and manipulate people into buying a thing that's just going to be thrown away, like that phase of capitalism making money is slowly going to disappear and deteriorate and there are plenty of jobs plenty of things to do that add value and you know going along with that collaborative frame of mind just looking at the world and being like what needs to be done and how can i help is a much better way of approaching entrepreneurship business work everything yeah and 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 two things to riff off of that that Sarah's bullshit radar uh, detector thing ties back to what I was mentioning earlier about how a lot of younger people, and, and we teach part-time at California College of the Arts in San Francisco, and I, I'm around a lot of 19, 20, 21-year-olds, and their bullshit radar detector is on point, you know, and they are very aware of the greenwashing and the inauthenticity that they're being fed, and they, they're tired of it. They don't want it anymore. And I think another thing to go off of the other point Sarah made around collaboration, which is another characteristic that we really uh, value when we work with clients is for them to be very imaginative and very, you know, very optimistic and hopeful. And one of the things that we see in this space is the, there's a lot of doom and gloom in messaging, right? We're all screwed. Everything's fucked, whatever. And, and it's true, you know, there's, there's truth to that. But if you only stop there at that narrative, then that doesn't excite people to want to get up out of bed in the morning and want to actually do the work. That doesn't really motivate people to want to be a part of this this movement to where they can contribute their skills, whether you're a designer, an accountant, a project manager, a plumber, whatever, right? Again, every, every job is a climate job. And so what we're trying to do with climate designers is because we are a community of designers is to find opportunities to show what's possible, create that future, future vision, illustrate it, whether it's a rendering, whether it's a campaign, whether it's message, whatever, however, you know, whatever's your, uh, you know, pick your poison. But if we only highlight the stop doing this, stop doing that, do less of this, do less of that, we're not showing what's possible. And if you are a founder who's able to turn your product or service into a vision that can show people the way and then and, and create those, those steps, that journey, so that they can reach that future vision, I think you'll be a lot more successful than just focusing on the statistics, the data, the doom and gloom, stop doing this, stop doing that. So I think just being very highly imaginative in the work that you do, especially um, using your product or service as that vehicle to do that. Yeah, I think people are a lot more motivated by inspiration rather than mandates or punishments or tis tis tis. Now, I want to comment on Sarah. When you speak, you exude this sense of responsibility. 
I can hear it in everything you say. You feel really responsible for the world that you live in. So I was wondering if you had any ideas on how to inspire a sense of responsibility in someone who does not feel that same way and just feels like they're just in the ocean and they're just, you know, moving through and doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a really um, neat observation, actually, and quite a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mentioned when I was, ta- I was sharing about my background that I burnt out in corporate America, in startup America. And that was sometime in the time frame of like 2013, 2014, something like that. Um, and around that time, I think the IPCC reports, just like they are now, they were starting to, uh, the, I don't know why, but the volume was turning up on those or something. I was I, be, I became more aware of the climate problem around that time. And to me, it was this experience where I had read about the climate problem in probably like the third grade science class textbooks. You know, I was like, it's in the textbook. It's figured out. Here's the science. It makes sense. Like, this is like a done deal. Like, here's what we need to do. Like, it was all figured out in what's that, like the 90s? Um um, you know, fast forward to 2013 and seeing those IPCC reports and it's like, we still haven't done anything. You know, we had that whole decade of just nothing happened. I mean, it's not true that nothing happened, but it feels like it on the outside. And I, you know, looked at myself as a late 30 something professional in the, in the world and realized, you know, I can't sit here and wait for the adults to figure it out anymore. Now I am one of the adults and look at me. I have all of these skills that um, help people figure out really tough problems. I was a software designer in Silicon Valley and I led a team of designers and engineers and we would have brainstorming meetings and I had a literal cardboard box full of, of tools that helped people brainstorm and um, figure things out and untangle uh, complex problems. And then I had actual like design skills where after we had those meetings that I helped facilitate, I would then document all of the things that we untangled and figured out and then turn them into marching orders. I was also kind of doubling as a product manager at the time. Um, and I would turn those ideas and brainstorms and complex things into marching orders for the developers and designers on my teams to go and then make complex software that actually changed the world. Like I had watched companies like Uber and Airbnb, and I worked for TaskRabbit for a while, um, like literally changed the way these other industries worked. Um, And so it just started to become clear to my system brain that um, as an adult now, I had somehow stumbled into a world where I had these fully developed skills that would actually probably be really useful to solve this climate crisis. And I was like, who am I? I think burnout has this effect on you too, where it's like, you just cannot find the energy to do bullshit work anymore. And so you like from what I've read and what I experienced, it seems like a thing where you um, are compelled or called to do something that you find worth doing. <laughs> it's like the only way I can describe it. Um, and so that's kind of how it all it all 
you know, came together for me. And it was just like this very obvious, like, if I'm going to be destroying my health in my job, <laughs> I might as well be doing it like a uh, solving the cancer issue or solving the climate issue. Like I couldn't really see anything else more important or more meaningful. And I don't know a dang thing about solving cancer. So <laughs> I could kind of see how my skills would be um, helpful for the climate crisis, or at least I thought so. So that's so, kind of how it went out <laughs> about in my brain. Do you think it's kind of like a natural um, evolution from being inspired to do something to feeling responsible for the results of what you create or what you're involved with? Just kind of trying to mark yeah. any, any thoughts on this? Perhaps? Maybe. I mean, we've definitely heard from a lot of people who feel like it is their calling to do this kind of work, to do good work, to use their skills for positive change. Um I don't know what that means when somebody says it's their calling, but we definitely hear that a lot. If I had a nickel for every time a new member joins our online community and says something like that, you know, I'd, I'd have a lot of nickels. <laughs> but um, I think, I think also, I think there's also a, there's this, and I think maybe COVID has, has a lot to do with it too, where we were just kind of, pushed into this very different state of being with very little notice. And that shook a lot of people and that made them really question their day to day. Why am I working my ass off 60 hours a week for X? Or why am I not seeing my loved ones more often because I'm at the, like all these different things. And I think with designers, we also at the same time started to see how, what we have contributed to, how that has played a role in a lot of these major global issues and this climate crisis being one of them, because, you know, let's be honest, designers make stuff. A, a lot of us make stuff. We extract stuff to make stuff to then throw that stuff away. And it, it takes a lot of, you know, puts a lot of burden on our, on our, on our home, on our planet. And I think there's been just this mass awakening over the last few years where people are starting to wake up and realize that if I, like what Sarah was saying, if I am going to put my energy towards something, I want to make it worth it. And so you're seeing this, like, what did they call it? The great resignation, right? Where you're seeing a lot of a rise in people quitting their BS jobs to go and do what they love or do what they really want to do. And and I think, you know, perfect timing, right? We need every, again, every job is a climate job and we're designers. This is our world. So we're definitely in that world. But if you're a lawyer listening, if you're an accountant, if you're a product manager, whatever, if you know your industry, your space, how can you rally the people around your space and provide them with just enough information for them to think about how they approach the work through the lens of climate change? Right. So we've mentioned several times how we think that climate is inextricably connected to kind of every career, everything you do. Obviously, we all are part of nature and live in the environment. Um, something I, I play around with a lot in my mind is the distinction between a nonprofit organization and a for-profit organization. I fundamentally believe that corporations exist to propagate a mission, not to achieve profit. So I was wondering if there's any kind of key messaging differences when it comes to design for a for-profit company or a startup versus like a nonprofit and a foundation in your work. Yeah, I think there are. And again, I'll probably flip this on you. Um, <laughs> I would actually, I do actually encourage nonprofits to think about the way that they approach messaging 
as if they were a for-profit. I think for-profit companies have a little bit more of a easy job when it comes to messaging because they, you know, we've had a lot of influencers and marketers educate the world and um, the CEOs of the world that you need to lead with the value proposition of the customer and say like what's in it for them. When you're a nonprofit, for whatever reason, a lot of people just don't get that training and they come at the world um, from the point of view of like, we need to satisfy our donors and our funders and like really lift ourselves up when we talk about ourselves. And we need to say things like, this is our mission and this is our vision and this is the impact that we've made. And instead, when you think about it more of like a, a for-profit company and you start talking about, here's the value that we provide to our end users and we don't call them users, but they're actually people. And here's what they care about and here's how we help them, um, which is what a for-profit company has learned to do. It makes the messaging of a nonprofit so much more compelling, so much more easy to read and understand. And like all of that jargon goes away and it becomes very simple and straightforward and exciting, you know, <laughs> more, more resonant with the people that are reading it. And through doing that, you then excite the donors that you wanted to impress and uh, everything just becomes much more easy gotcha what what have you found throughout your um experiences is the most difficult part of the design process for most of your clients difficult well that turnaround that i just described is pretty difficult to make i have been coming at things from a customer-centric point of view for over a decade and so it's easy for me to see when that's not being done and turn it around but it's very difficult to do when it's your own company for whatever reason it, it was even difficult for me and mark to do when we created copywriting and stuff for climate designers um there's like this i call it kind of like mental gymnastics like you have to flip things around in your head and look at the world from not the perspective of the organization that you are, but from the person that you're talking to. And it's this mirroring, flipping thing that's really difficult to do. And it takes a lot of practice. So that's why it's actually a lot easier and more helpful to hire somebody who's good at that to come in and, and do that with you, do that for you. Not for you really, but with you. Yeah. Yeah, I have a I have a few I'll, I'll quickly go through. Um, I think it's the idea that iteration is really important and that you, you that they don't need to have it all figured out right off the bat. I think a lot of companies and and startups and nonprofits they they want to keep everything in the shed while they work on it and then launch when everything what they appear what they think is 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 ready, you know, oh, it's perfect, right? But if you only keep it, you know, so closed off and not put it in front of your your people, right? To get feedback, to get input, to help really make it better, then nine times out of 10, it's gonna fall flat. It's not gonna resonate. And so we are firm believers in uh, user testing. We wanna get even shitty ideas out there. You know, we've been, you know, we would test with, uh, with people that would fit a certain persona with just, wireframes that were made out of Sharpie on paper. 
not even pushing one line of, line of code, not even buying the domain name yet, but we're still testing websites, right? I think another thing too is the idea of small bets where they, again, this kind of goes back in the, what I was talking about earlier with just keeping everything in that shed before they launch. So what if you have an idea, instead of putting all your time and resources into that one idea, how can you break it down into smaller bets to even test if that idea is worth it? So an example with climate designers, which is something we haven't talked about. So when Sarah brought up the origin story of climate designers, we gave ourselves a small bet. We bought a domain name on Namecheap for like eight bucks. We bought a one month subscription to Squarespace, which was like 14 bucks, something like that. We spent about four hours on copy and branding, and then we put it out there. And the email signup box at, on the one page that we designed was the call to action, sign up to get notified when we launch. We had no clue what launching meant. We just wanted to see if this idea was sticky or not. And then within that month, we just blasted it out on social. We sent it to our fellow designers, you know, hey, you know, send this to your people, you know. And within that month, I, I can't remember, we should have documented this, Sarah, but I can't remember how many people signed up. But at the end of the month, it was enough people to make us realize, you know what, I think we're onto something. As opposed to us having the initial idea and then spending hours and hours and hours of our time developing all the pages, all the ideas that we thought our people wanted, and then launching it. And then it was a ghost town, no community members, you know, the pages we created weren't what designers like. So I think the idea of small bets is something that I would love to see more entrepreneurs um, and, and designers are great, a great uh Designers are great in terms of educating their clients or, or managers with that philosophy because they can tell them, hey, let me whip up a website real quick. Let me create this mock-up real quick and just test it out. So I think designers really need to understand that that is a great tool in their toolkit for them to use when needed. And then one last thing is really just trusting the designer too. Um, I think for so long, designers are, have just always been looked at as, oh, we'll, we'll get the designer on it at the end of the project, just slap a logo on it, make it look good, whatever. But if, if you're a good designer who knows how to ask the right questions, who knows lots of different processes and methodologies and creative work, who can really draw out the ideas from your clients, colleagues, managers, whatever, if you're a designer ha that has a pretty well-rounded toolkit, you are one valuable person to that company or that project. And so if we can educate more people, the higher ups who make this, the, the, the decisions, if they can just trust designers that they can see us beyond just the pixel pushers, beyond the people that just make things look good, I think that'll, that'll speed up the process and they'll produce much better uh, products at the end of a, of a client project or whatever it is that they're creating. Um, so yeah, trusting designers, I think would be a great thing that if more people just trusted us, <laughs> I think we'd be, we'd be further along in our efforts, especially in the climate crisis. Well, you're, you're artists, aren't you? And there's nothing that an artist hates more than being put in a box and told you can only do this one way or the other. You know what I mean? So, uh, I, th I think that's really great. Um, and then that's like the classic story, isn't it? Of like the, uh, the minimum viable product, the MVP, putting up a button and being like, Hey, I have this thing. You guys want it? And then when like a thousand people click the button, they're like, okay, maybe we are onto something. So that's definitely something for people to take into account. Um, what are your thoughts on all the different like marketing channels that people have at their fingertips right now? Facebook, YouTube, Google, Instagram, LinkedIn, all this different stuff. How can companies go about effectively spreading their message? And I imagine you're both, you're going to be like, well, it depends on the situation, doesn't it? But how can companies like figure out what it depends on and then kind of get after it? 
Yeah, I think this one goes back to the being authentic thing and narrative stories. Um, the way that I look at it with social media and everything is there has never been a time in history where any regular person had access to such a massive amount of people. And there's a lot of sides to that, you know, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility, that kind of thing. Like you can use that for better or worse. And we've definitely seen people spreading conspiracy theories and changing society's beliefs for the worse. Um, but like, it's kind of amazing that you can use all these tools. And then another side of that is the people who are consuming this information are sort of overwhelmed. And so how do you cut through the noise? How do you make something that stands out? Um, there's a lot to consider. So yes, it's it's a very interesting world. There's a lot of tools that we can use to reach a enormous group of people. But um, how are you going to make them pay attention to you versus the other 10,000 things that are on their timeline? How are you going to resonate with them? I, I think it goes back to solving important problems that people already care about. You don't make somebody care about your thing they already care about the things they care about and you just help connect the dots to your thing, I guess is one of the most simple ways to, to say it. So using, you know, a lot of the things that we've already talked about, if your product service company is solving a real need in the world and you're able to tell that story and help illustrate to people why this is the best way to solve the thing that they're already looking for a solution to, then you're going to stand out to them. You're going to find them. And it's just being authentic. Yeah. So again, recording this mid-April 2022, we just had the third working group uh, release from the UN's IPCC um, Council release their latest report. And we had a, a great conversation in my climate designers class at CCA about this. So this report came out about a week or so ago, and no one heard about, about it. You know, I asked my students, hey, raise your hand if you heard about the latest report that came out. No hands, right? But the interesting thing that I see every time a new major report like this comes out are all of the people that break down the report into, for the lack of a better phrase, like Instagrammable, like bites, yep. Yep. right? Where they're not, you know, maybe they do it or they have someone else do it. I don't know, but they basically pull out all the really important information and then make it into something much more consumable and relatable and approachable so that their followers or other people, like if you go on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you see so many people do these like debrief videos or posts or things like that, that can help break down and help the everyday person understand what these reports are all about. And so they're using all these channels. And I think it's great because it's an opportunity for so many more people to understand what's going on in an approachable way using these existing tools that we've never had before, right? I mean, the internet really, mainstream internet has only been around for maybe two decades or so. This is a very new technology. And we're having all these apps and things come up you know, every other day. And so we're, we're at the very beginning stages of understanding the power and the responsibility that all these companies have. And I think we're still, we're, we're just seeing some of the impacts now. And if we don't get a, a grasp on it, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a little bit of, afraid of the future if, if we don't really like, 
you know, bring in some of the some of the stuff uh, because I'm afraid of misinformation. I'm afraid of disinformation. I'm afraid of all these things that we've already seen a glimpse of when it comes to abusing these platforms. But yeah, I don't know. It's been great to see all these people interpret very important information in ways that more people can learn about it and do something about it too. So I, I think it's great to have all these tools. It's overwhelming, of course, but um, I think if it can work in your favor, then, then use it. But yeah, I agree with Sarah. It's a, it's a lot more to it than just, you know, signing up for a new Facebook account or something. Right. Well, here's the thing for me. I like YouTube because I am not a designer and I'm not good with graphic design. My mom is like a graphic designer. She used to work for this women's magazine before they started, my parents started their business. And she was always, she's all, she has like the detail with the eye. I was never good at that. I prefer to rely on God's design and just like talk and smile and make words and conversation that that works for me. And YouTube is the long form that I could do the best job with that. Well, thank you both for taking the time to come on the show. Um, before we go, I'd love to hear your favorite parts of the, your, each of your favorite parts of the work that you do. And then I have one more question after that as well. And the audience knows what that one is. <laughs> um, favorite part of the work that we do. I really enjoy watching people come to the realization that I had where it's like, oh, I am the adult now and I am building this world and I need to decide whether I'm going to build it in this way that we've been building the world for the last couple hundred years that's actually destroying everything or can i build the world in a way that we haven't even imagined yet and for me with climate designers it's just it's amazing just two and a half years old what we've accomplished and we have chapters as what sarah mentioned at the start of the call we have chapters in lots of different countries we have a chapter in the czech republic and slovakia like people are producing events and getting together because of the work that Sarah and I started two and a half years ago. And holy crap, like never did I think that the work that I would do would reach so many people in so many different corners of the world. And it's just been a very humbling experience to, uh, to see all that happen. Well, thank you both for doing it. Clearly there was a need and you fulfilled it. And I'm very grateful. And of course, I always love to ask at the end, any pieces of advice you have for young folks who are passionate about building a better world? Yeah. Um, I think my advice would be that it is possible to build a better world and we just need to get started as soon as possible. Yeah. Just know your skills, know where your interests lie and put all your energy towards that. And, and when it comes to taking climate action, learn the science, talk to people, get a grasp around what is happening and how you can show up in the world as a, as a young leader. Yeah. And I always say all it takes to be a leader is to just go and, and do something. I really, really, really fundamentally believe that, that the difference between those who make an impact and those who don't is simply someone who just gets up and says, I'm going to go do something today. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really it. Don't and, wait for uh, so, somebody to give you permission. Just just do it. And if you and if you fail at it, pick yourself back up and try again or try another thing. Like, don't think that the first step has to be the step and yeah. the only step. Try something. Yeah. Learn from it. There is no fail. <laughs> there is no fail. Only only do, only continue, only learn. And I keep saying over and over again, if we had it all figured out by now, there'd be nothing to do. So we got yeah. plenty of stuff to do. Unlimited things. Um, Mark and Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time. Keep up the awesome work. I'm excited to see the Climate Designers Project continue to grow. This is ex ex It's an exciting time. Thank you so much for having us. This was cool. Awesome. 
Thanks, Ethan. You got it. All right, everybody. And we'll see you soon. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrealty.org today.